Welcome back to the Zert Coffee and Chaos podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything relating to what it means to be a prepared individual and a survivalist in today's day and age. Back on the show with me today is Jamie Franks, as always. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. Always to be great to be back. Always <laughs> great to have you here. Always great to catch up. Uh, we caught up a little bit before this, and uh, we're going to try and catch up a little bit less when this show starts and get into the good stuff. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling because, you know, we, we've said it before, we, we, you and I can get on these and, and turn them into four-hour podcasts. Um, but uh, obviously crazy stuff happening right now, um, hurricanes, gas prices, whatever. I, just, I was just in yep. Florida last week. <laughs> Um, I left Florida on Monday, right as Hurricane, um, what is it, Ida, something? Itilia or Idalia? Idalia, oh, something like that. like that, is is coming through, and I guess it uh, it's already passed over Florida, and apparently it's moving into Georgia tonight. Um, so, uh, anybody out there that is listening in Florida, I hope uh, I'm, we hope that you are safe, and if you are not and need anything, please reach out. Um, Obviously, that's what this Zert Network is all about. Uh, and then if you are in Georgia and are being prepared for whatever's coming, obviously stay safe out there and uh, uh, trust your training, I guess, if you will. Uh, it's funny. I talked to... Yeah, and I mean, that that is a huge asset of Zert is like the membership network. Um, so if, if the Zert members are, you know, training correctly and preparing themselves correctly, then yeah, I mean, that can be a, a huge uh, leg to stand on. Yeah. Um, reaching out and expanding your network. You can't, you know, Yeah. unfortunately, I, I think we're all in love with this idea of like, I can survive forever by myself. But it's that really, when you really peel it back, it's really not no. realistic. No. Uh, and you need a team. There's yeah. definitely a safety in numbers. Safety in numbers, the community, that community aspect. I mean, it's what still attracts people to Zert and it's what has kept, has kept, the membership, the way that it is, it's, it's that community. Um, I mean, even I, I spoke to a good friend of mine who's a ZERT member down in Savannah. Um, and when I talked to him this morning, he was like just getting prepared. And I, I said, okay, well, when's it supposed to happen? Or when's it supposed to come? And he said tonight by like eight o'clock. And you know, he filled up the bathtubs with the water, made sure the generators had gas. And, and, you know, he was like, I'm, I'm ready to prepare food by whatever way means necessary, right? So, you know, I mean, if it's a situation where you're going to lose power for two days, obviously you can, you know, you can grill with charcoal, you can grill with propane gas. I mean, there's there's plenty of ways to prepare food. Um, you know, you're not busting out your your canned goods uh, as in, you know, like it's a fallout. But again, he is, he is prepared. And I know that he put something up on the Georgia page this morning. So I think talking about the bathtubs, we used to do that uh, obviously in the winter, um, you know, up here, just preparing for, mm. for power outages and, and ice storms and such. So um, always, always good to have that kind of information. So that's the thing that I've started giving to people for gifts. Cause number one, it's something that like most people, I think most regular people uh, assuming that those of us that are like us are kind of abnormal. Um, <laughs> just but uh yeah, like a lot of people that that just don't think of this stuff on their own. That's it's actually a, a very inexpensive uh, little gift that you can give people. But now they make the they and it comes in a little box. I'm trying to think like like now you can sometimes you can get like cans of beer that are in a four pack, not a six pack, like the yep. four pack. Yep. Uh, so it's it's in a box about that size, and it's this little like blat water bladder that you put in your bathtub. 
Um, oh. So like put, you know, putting water in into the bathtub itself is one thing, but this is a sealed plastic, uh, like food grade bladder um, that you roll, you open the box, roll it out in the bottom of the bathtub. And then like, it it's kind of like a condom that goes over the, uh, the spout for your bathtub and you turn it on and it fills the bathtub and it keeps all your, your water uh, clean and sealed. And so you won't have, you know, soap scum and Right. Yeah. Uh, mildew oh, yeah. and and debris and <laughs> right. Uh, Life hack: If you're preparing that, clean the cubes. tub first. Right. Yeah. <laughs> clean the tub first. Oh uh, man. But anyway, uh, you know. So obviously, we hope everybody is staying safe out there. And uh, um, you know, our friends over at DMO Knives listened to the podcast last week, and they were they were uh, loving hearing about uh, that their knives made it into the podcast. And you know, we we support some great people out there, and. Uh, um, you know, we want to make sure all of our all of our friends are are safe and whatnot. But we don't want to waste any time, and we want to get right back into where we left off last week. Um, so, uh, if you haven't caught last week's episode, obviously go check it out or pick up where uh, where we are now. Um, we were discussing Hollywood gun battles and are they real? Are they viable? What can you learn from them? Um, last week we we had picked out and talked about a couple of different movies and kind of what we liked and and things that we thought were pretty accurate. Uh, and today, we're going to go into depth a little bit more with, with those scenes, with those movies. Uh, some are obviously entire movies, some are particular scenes from movies, but kind of, you know, our takeaways from that and are they, are they good training pieces or are they good um, tactics, if you will. So um, I think we ended th last week with the way of the gun. Yeah, we started kind of scratching the surface on the way of the gun. Um, and then, set, like, actually, I, it may have been the afternoon we recorded the podcast last week that I went back and, and watched it again. Because I haven't watched, I mean, I've, I've seen the movie several times, but I probably haven't watched it in maybe three or four years. So I went back and freshened up on it a little bit. And there's... There is a lot of good stuff. I think most of what we already said about the way of the gun is valid, but in watching it again with a fresh mind and an eye specifically towards that kind of stuff, um, unfortunately, I can't remember if we said that the way of the gun should or would fall into that gold standard category, but I'm going to retract that a little bit because in the final scene, they, there is some goofy stuff that they do. Uh, sure. Just one sure. quick example is, uh, you know, Ryan Phillippe is... Uh, he's wounded in, in one of his arms and he goes to do a mag change and he like, pulls the, the empty magazine out of the gun with his teeth. Um, that's, that's not uh, really a technique yeah. that I would recommend, but, yeah. uh, so there's, there's a few little goofy things like that. But. Well, that, I mean, the whole, the scene where they were just unloading relentlessly on the column, uh, the, the stone column where the guy's behind it so oh, much. Yeah. So where the guy, like, I, and I don't know if they did it as a joke or not, but where they cut to his face and he's kind of just like, like the bad guy in it he's just like oh you know yeah. and then and then obviously when they uh the 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 shooting stops he steps out and and they make the final shot there to to kill him but again you know it's just they were working with not a huge resupply near nearby so why would they right you know well it's and it this is one of the things that we talk about in the military at least when we're we're doing these types of trainings is like and I think we've even touched on it in a couple of ways here is that, you know, no tactic is absolute, like no, 
rule or rule of thumb or best practice or technique is is absolute like every everything 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 all the time is situational dependent so we get locked into these methodologies that we do on a two-way range i'm sorry not a two-way range on a on a two-dimensional range meaning like a flat range a gun range a shooting range and because this is the way we practice it uh you kind of get like locked into that uh you know, like people call it like range theatrics and stuff, but but yeah. when bullets are really flying in two directions, um, everything is is situational dependent. And so, um, when I'm training with a squad or a fire team, like, and we take contact, our initial action, our immediate action is to overwhelm that threat with right. bullets. Well, that's great because I've got nine dudes and we all have 210 rounds of rifle ammunition on us so do that math real quick and so yeah we can afford to spend the first 10 seconds of this contact you know dumping rounds just in the direction right of the enemy and then start to 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 make calls and maneuver but when you're two guys against uh i think it's like seven in that well it so that's actually i think it's nine if you count the two guys at the beginning and then the reinforcements come in um unless your entire belt from your belly button to your butt crack is just 1911 mag after 1911 mag after 1911 mag, like all the way around, uh, you can't do what they did. Like, and I point that out because what they did can be a valid tactic. Like that's actually when I worked with Naval special warfare, that was a tactic that we, I can't, it would be a stretch of the truth to say we trained to it, but it's something we tried. Uh, it's something we attempted was um if you had like because in um a little backstory like in um i think it was ramadi uh the seal teams came up against uh or maybe it was in fallujah or maybe it was both um but they would uh make entry into a house and you know basic swat team tactics are you're making entry into a residential home where maybe there's some kind of hostage situation or some suspect barricaded. But once you breach the door, it's still just a residential home with lazy boys and couches and desks and a dining room table. But in Ramadi and Fallujah, they were making entry into these houses and there were actually like prepared, like reinforced concrete machine gun bunkers that had been built into these houses. Right. Um, so now your your ordinary SWAT tactics don't work anymore um, because you're facing down an enemy that's in a fortified position right. um, with a with a belt fed machine gun. So one of the tactics we tried is if um, and we tried it and we trained to it a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's something that that's trained to anymore. Um, as far as I know, the, the the days when we were trying it out, it was just to try it out to see if it worked, and it did. But um, kind of the guy behind the pillar and they kept dumping rounds on him um that can be a valid tactic and one of the ways that we tried it is if there's like a a barricaded enemy at like the end of a hallway or around a corner that's that's inside of a prepared position because you know like stairways come down and it like forms a triangle and you could fortify that little that dead space underneath the stairway right and turn that into like a like an improvised machine gun bunker so um, if you were taking fire from a prepared fortified position, like at the end of a hallway or around a corner, you could get two guys like to kind of go high and shoot high, but continuously put a stream of rounds against that wall. Right. And you're, you're not going to hit the enemy, but 
it's going to let him know that there's bullets, 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 bullets. He's going to keep his head down. And, uh, you know, you got to be with people that you trust. But we would, a couple of guys would sneak under and get right up to the corner. Then the guys would stop shooting and then we'd, we'd pop around the corner. Um, and we actually found that to be a, a valid tactic. Um, sure. Again, so, if you're, right. if you're with highly trained people that you trust. And so like right. suppressing that target and keeping him behind that pillar would be a valid tactic if you had uh, not unlimited ammo, but if you had, you know, a lot, probably a lot more than those two guys would have had. Right. And, um, and, and just to I go in the movie. Well, just but, to go back, you, you, you mentioned, and you're correct. I mean, Benicio del Toro's character was carrying a 1911. So you are capacity limited right off the bat, you know? So yeah. like you said, even if he had magazines from his belly button to his back crack, you, what, what's that? You know, maybe a hundred rounds, maybe. I mean, yeah. we're talking nine, unless he had the nine rounders, but you know, you're, I, I think that you, the point that you're making is a hundred percent accurate. Like, that is a viable tactic, but you know Hollywood seems to get it wrong sometimes with one guy and a pistol versus twelve guys and machine guns. That's not the case in the movie, but right. Is. And but that's and that's kind of where where I'm getting at is um, that could be a valid tactic because um, in the movie uh, they show it in a way where like they they were kind of doing a bait and switch, like right. they were shooting, 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 pause, shooting, 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 pause. Yep. And I think in the movie they were trying to like make him think they were out of ammo, and so they shoot, 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 and then they take a little bit of a longer pause, and then he pops out, and then they get him. Yeah. Um, but to what end? Like, no, okay, you wait, you wasted eighty bullets in that process. But, <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly. And then not knowing how many more targets there was, I, I'd have to go yeah. back and watch that scene and realize, okay, did they know that that was the end of the the threat, and that's why? But you know, do you ever know that? Do you ever train for the end of the threat? You know, you shoot one guy once and and he goes down and is that threat eliminated or do you do you verify, right? I mean so um but you're right, there was definitely some wonky things, I guess, if you will. Yeah, and I mean like even the example I used, it, it's this is another example that makes me wonder um, like where he w did the mag change and pulls out his empty magazine with his teeth. Is that something that, uh, obviously I, I'll go out on a limb and say, that's probably not something that the, whatever the tactical advisor or firearms trainer would have recommended. But is that one of the times where the director just thinks that that's something that will look cool as this guy ripping an empty mag right. out with his teeth? Um, is that something that the actor just improved and, and chose to do on the spot? Um, so, you know, that's, that's not a, a one and done like deal killer for this movie because there is a lot of other good stuff in this movie. And right around that same scene, um, that was Ryan Phillippe's character, but Benicio del Toro's character yep. does a mag change where, and he's only, he's down one arm where he does a mag change. Does he go between, between his legs while he's kneeling? I know he doesn't go behind the legs, but he does something where he basically, that he takes the, he, the firearm is, is, is um, magazine or grip up. And I think he goes between his legs, like it like pinches the gun in between pinches, his two yeah. legs, like not yeah. not behind the knee. And then I think he stands up and, and moves it up to his armpit. Yes. I think. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, yeah. but and this movie came out 23 years ago now. It came out in the year 2000. Um, 
and so that so this came out pre 9/11 so uh, the other thing that like i have to remember when i watch this is having been in the military before 9/11 like all of our tactics that we trained on back then all like all 100% of our cqb tactics at that time were all based on uh like urban police swat tactics okay at that time and then all of our like uh i don't know what do you call it like open area you know combat tactics were all based on uh like the limited combat that we had had in desert storm and so basically a lot of our um like open area combat tactics basically were still uh based on like modified vietnam tactics at that point so since the year 2000 like tons of things have changed because uh having 20 consecutive years of sustained combat in two theaters um where we had mountain warfare we had tons 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 of like real world cqb um and street fighting and you know kind of everything in between for like 20 straight years like all of our tactics are night and day different than what they were in the year 2000 so i mean whatever you know we talked about um the article I read said that the director of the movie's brother had been a Navy SEAL oh, right. uh, yeah. and trained the, the actors for the movie. And so that watching the movie now, that makes a lot of sense because the tactics that he would have known, again, would have been those like modified Vietnam tactics and would not be reflective of everything that that we've learned in the 20 years you know, since the movie was made. So um, but kind of like. To my point, like they they did it's they did like a right thing and a wrong thing, and I think the movie illustrated it as a thing that could have been good under the right circumstances. But I think even the movie illustrated it as wrong. And it's uh, when they it's this is again in the final scene in that final hotel um, when they're like they're making their they're kind of they're doing the room clearing, they're moving down the hallways. Um, I disagree with the way they were moving down the hallways, but again, I think in the year 2000, that probably was the way they were doing it. Then they, they were moving down the hallway on both sides of the hallway. I would not do it that way now um, in that situation. Right. But they find the the hotel room where the girl is and that's kind of, and then the, I can't remember who he was, but he was cause they're in Mexico. Um, and they're, it's like a, which, which is the like a Mexican guy. The, the Mexican guy, um, he was like the hotel manager or something. Yeah, right. Okay, that's what yeah, I thought. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of flanks them, and then that kind of kicks off the gunfight. And so uh, Benito del Toro has a Galil, and yeah. he just rocks it on full auto, and he does kind of a good thing. Like, he does – um he just shoots on full auto, like a flat line all the way around at a little bit lower than what would be, I think, like your average adult male standing upright. So a little bit lower than center, yep. uh, like all the way around the wall, which in number one, as long as you know that every single person in the hotel is is a threat, right. um, because at that point you're not really caring who you hit. Yeah. And then like shooting it at that level is good because that's going to, because most people are just going to hunch down. They're not going to get all the way down. They're just right. going to hunch over. So that, that would be a good level to shoot at, uh, to put people down. But in the first initial contact, he basically runs through all of his ammo yes. uh, for the rifle right. uh, and, and like, so right from the get-go, uh, I think he runs through three magazines, and he does something that's really neat. Um, and again, this is one of those things that could be debatable. It was was the actor trained so well that he did this on his own, or was this a scripted movement? But uh, at one point, 
he goes down and he does he does exactly what I do to be honest he goes down and reaches for a rifle magazine and he runs his hand down his body to his belt and then he runs from his belt backwards right. looking for another rifle magazine realizes he doesn't have any more ditches the rifle goes to the pistol so like that's yeah. that's exactly what I would have done in that situation except I would not have Didn't, ran through I, all my rifle ammo true yeah and I think he actually way. went to his other pocket too because he was wearing a he was wearing yep. a jacket that's right. so so he he fully checked all of his his uh I guess stowable locations on this on his body yeah, his and that's jacket. another that's another thing that people think they're gonna do is like that you know you know you have four magazines on you and in the heat of a gunfight you're gonna have the presence of mind to go this is magazine number one now i have done my mag change and i'm on number two now i'm on number three now i'm on number four i'm telling you like that all that goes completely out the window so that's why it's important to to build um these condition responses these these you know people call it muscle memory um but that like i i cycle through my magazines in a certain sequence every time and it's for a reason that i talk about in my classes but yeah but that i i thought that was really good because yeah you're uh thank you for for that additional little catch he he runs his hand down his body goes to his belt runs back and then he checks his jacket pocket and and uh and then realizes that his he's winchester on his uh rifle ammo and and then goes to the pistol from now on so uh so that's kind of one good thing and one bad thing in one, but the way they illustrated it is that was kind of a dumb thing to do to run through all your rifle yeah. ammo in the first yeah. 30 seconds of the gunfight. And yeah. now you, now you've got to do the rest of your work with your handgun. So good luck. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I mean, it's funny because you just said it like you have a, and it's good to have that muscle memory. And even last week I, I was in that two day pistol class and, maybe twice in the day and I was I was running a, a belt and it was just pistol so I mm -hmm. I brought just a pistol belt so I had a regular battle belt with um three pistol mag pouches on my left and then obviously a dump pouch um and it's funny because we were you know told to bring at minimum four but by the end of the by the end of the first day I was bringing seven loaded mags to the line um and we would just run through drills but at least twice in those two days when I got done with the drill, I went and it was not my first magazine that I had reloaded. It was the middle one because mm -hmm. I did not, I did not run my hand down, run it back to that first magazine. I just, I went through the mag change and I went down and grabbed the first one, which was not the first one in line if I did right. it the other way. So um, it, it's good to see that there are some of those, like you said, whether it's it's being taught or whether they're or they know it in some of those movies. Yeah. And uh, so one of the other goofy things I saw was um, and this again, it's it it makes when you start diving down, it makes you wonder, did they do this on <laughs> purpose? Because this is kind of indicative of people that have like a little bit of training and a little bit of like experience, but like maybe not super high level training. Uh, or is this one of the things that the director just wanted it his way because he thought it looked cool and so this is the way we're going to do it. But um, when they're at the the second motel that's kind of in the middle of the movie and they right. uh, they they make it seem like they've left um, to bring the, the other guys in and then they kind of uh, they ambush them like in kind of a sniper situation. Yep. Um, and like, you know, they have a really cool gun. So, we you know, we talked about earlier before the difference between... Uh, 
good gunfight movies versus cool gun movies. Um, but this was like in the sniper scene, he had the HK, the PSG one sniper rifle, which yeah, is a right. super cool rifle, which is really, really, really expensive. If you can even <laughs> find one nowadays. Right. Um, but, uh, they did, I mean, this is like level one, one Oh one first day of sniper school kind of stuff. You know, you don't, it, it, and it's something you see in movies all the time is like when a sniper is shooting out a window in movies and TV, they have the gun barrel out the window. Oh, God, like yeah. no, no right. real shooters ever going to do that. Right. Um, and then in this movie there, uh, there's like a Rocky Ridge and they're, they've basically silhouetted themselves right on the top of the Rocky Ridge, which you would never do. You would drop yourself down a little bit. So you'd be below the Ridge line. Um, and it would, it'd give you better, uh, concealment and better camouflage. And his rifle kept making this like huge muzzle flash, which, you know, right. um, ideally you would not have uh, you'd have a flash hider not some sort of massive muzzle break on there but again it's one of those things that looks cool in the movie so is, right. is that why they did it but yeah yeah but the takeaway from that is don't silhouette yourself on the top of a ridge line drop down below the ridge line a little bit and uh, and put a put a flash hider on your gun or you know what the best flash hider is i mean are, are suppressor we, suppressor that's the, that's the best say, flash right, hider. yeah and it it serves two purposes there so yes, so, yes it does. sound and horrible muzzle flash um mm -hmm. which makes you harder to kill um but anyway uh or harder to find i guess we should say not harder to kill um you know I, and we we didn't put it on this but um what about the first jack reacher movie with tom cruise and I'm I'm specifically talking about the scene at the end with the um where they're at the rock quarry. We're at the rock quarry. And yeah. specifically, um, what's his name? Uh jeez, I can't uh, think of Robert the actor. Duvall. Robert yeah, yeah, Bobby Duvall. Um with the M one A. Um yeah. what do you think about that? The way that he Well, I have of, a I, I so um, I I've watched that movie several times because I'm a big Jack Reacher fan. On uh, on one of my deployments, I figured out that I could go on Amazon and buy the paperback copies of the Jack Reacher books for literally one cent a piece. Okay. Um, and so uh, on on one deployment, I think I read like 16 of the Jack Reacher books because they're really good. And I I think I think in total, I think there's like close to 40. I believe, I believe um, so. Correct. I read the first sixteen, um, and I really enjoyed them. But uh, to the movie, uh, you know, number one, a lot of people complained that they cast Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher because one of Jack Reacher's fundamental characteristics is that he's this big, imposing guy. Um, but the actual author of the book said that he thought Tom Cruise's attitude. Um, and the way he played the character made up for the lack of physical size. And I actually agree with that. I think Tom Cruise really, really captured Jack Reacher's disposition and attitude really well. So I didn't really have that big of a problem with that. But fast forwarding to the to the gunfight at the end and Robert Duvall, you know, kind of given the overwatch with the M14 or M1A, whatever you want to say. Yep. Um, nothing really stood out as all that ridiculous about that gunfight. Um, and they did a they did a fair job at kind of show like um, because Jack Reacher was mainly um, picking up discarded weapons from other people. Agreed. And so 
really you only you know you, if you're picking up somebody's discarded weapon all you're going to have is the the magazine that's in it or the ammunition that's in it and they they did well with that and then uh this is kind of, this is one of the things that they always made fun of in the austin powers movies it's, it's like i'm the good guy and i finally captured the bad guy but now we're going to stand here and have an 11 minute discussion about why you're such a bad guy and how i got you at like <laughs> Right. Tom Cruise walks in, finds the bad guy, and just shoots him in the head, and that's it. Like yeah. that. So um, I really appreciated that. Um, but there's really nothing that stands out to me that was really all that ridiculous about that that scene. That, that well, uh, as so, I yeah. as I remembered, it seemed pretty authentic. Yeah, not, not so much ridiculous. I just like the way that they. And again, whether it's something that they decided to put in, or it was written that way, or whatnot. But you know. Robert Duvall's character wasn't sitting there with his gun mounted and, you know, waiting to take a shot. Like he was, um, it was dark and whoever Jai Courtney's character was up under lights. Um, and he was, he was kind of waiting for the shot to take, be taken by them so he could get position on where they were. And then he would kind of take that shot. Um, and again, whether that's accurate or not, uh, again, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody can even speak to that. I mean, it's, I don't know if you wait until someone takes a shot at you if you're in low light conditions. It, I mean, that's a tactic. And again, like kind of going back to one of my other points, that that was a tactic uh, in Vietnam where they called it uh, reconnaissance by fire. Um, they would, it, when they couldn't see the Viet Cong, they would just fire in the direction that they thought the Viet Cong were so that they would shoot back and then you could see their muzzle flash and then then you actually knew where to shoot yeah um but the most of the stuff in jack reacher i mean even like the the sniper shot at the very beginning and then tom cruise kind of breaks it down later like how he knew the guy that they had framed for it like if this guy was a marine corps sniper uh he would know that you would you should never take a shot you know as as it was set up he's like he wouldn't do it that way he'd go up on the bridge with the sun behind him and yeah uh, it would give him better uh egress routes and like all that stuff was really good and really well thought out they even got into like the the hand reloading of the ammunition um the scene where tom cruise goes to the range and meets robert duvall duvall makes him do like the little uh marksmanship test yeah that was great and the way the way tom cruise gets in his sling so uh like that's that was and like because talk because well, he's kind of laying I feel upside like this, down right like and, and that's kinda... exactly how you do it that's that's one of those things that like i feel like me and nine other guys that saw that movie right recognize that but that's exactly how you do the old school traditional like high power rifle marksmanship you lay on your back you get in the sling and then when you roll over on it it gives you that last little bit of, of tension against the sling <laughs> that's um wild. So yeah, so so they're 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 that's a that's a good pull. I don't know if you meant to talk about that on purpose. Oh, but yeah, that, no, that's I, another I, good movie that that yeah. like. Well, I needs a lot of authenticity. Yeah, so I, I go back to like I said that scene with with Robert Duvall and the way that he was taking those shots at the end, um, you know, uh, and and I specifically remember that um, that scene where he does where he lays on he lays on his back and rolls into it and i always wondered how you know how viable that is today if if obviously if they're still teaching that or not um they're not they're not okay um and you know when it comes to jack reacher obviously the other thing that's at the end and when when he is 
the one dude is killed and he's going, he's got to rescue the chick. Um, and yep. he has the AR and he, he must have a magnified optic on it because before he takes that one shot, he removes the optic and just goes to irons to yep. take that, to take that one shot. And, you know, obviously in the doorway, takes a shot and then to the other side of the doorway to, to stay in the cover. And, and he Hollywood makes and the I, shot. And just, just a little, just to poop on your point, just th this little bit. Like, I don't think that was an AR. I think it was a, I think that was actually like the SIG 556. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was a, sorry, I'm a good nerd. No, it was a, I don't know if it was a semi auto rifle or not, but it was a, it was a MSR, modern sporting rifle, um, <laughs> uh, with an optic on it. And he's an assault weapon. Yes. It was, uh, yes, it was an assault rifle. Um, uh, but he removes the, the optic and just goes to irons. And the only thing I can think of is it was a magnified optic, not just a, yeah. a standard red dot, which is why he did it. But, um, not to get too far down the rabbit hole with Reacher, but, um, did you watch the series? I did not. And, okay. um, and, and not really. I've had I've had a version of this discussion with so many people. Um, I didn't not watch it on purpose. Uh, to like honestly, the um, the terminal list I did try to watch that, and mm -hmm. I I lost interest so quickly. Yeah. Exactly for the reasons that we're talking about. I think um, I think a lot of the military authenticity and I think a lot of the tactical authenticity just wasn't there. Uh, it was a golden opportunity for them to like nail it. You know, like what we talked about with uh, Lone Survivor and Black Hawk Down and and those, but. Um, with the terminal list, they got a lot of the props right. Like, uh, you know, he was wearing the correct watch for that character, and he was had the correct type of guns and stuff for that character. But I like, I watched like two and a half episodes of Terminal List, and I was out. Uh, Jack Reacher, I actually did intend to watch, but it's like, um, I'm not a big TV guy just in general. But yeah. um, there's so much good content out. It's like every other day somebody's telling me, oh, you got to watch this show. Hey, have you seen this? You got to watch it. And like, I just don't have time to watch all of this stuff yeah, that people no, are recommending I, that I watch. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, I, you know, when I watched Reacher, um, when the Amazon Reacher, obviously they they picked the right guy. Alan Richardson mm -hmm. is, the, is the book uh, Reacher, you know, the size yeah. and intimidating factor. And it was, it was a really good episode or I'm sorry, really good series. And then, uh, the second season is coming out. Um, kind of, you brought it up and terminal list was on my, on my picks. Um, there were things that obviously annoyed me about it. There was one scene where, uh, I don't remember what episode it is, but there was one scene where they were moving through a village trying to rescue a hostage and it was Taylor Kitsch's character and Chris Pratt's character and one other guy and and the, their tactics seemed sound the way that they moved and communicated mm -hmm. um but there were a lot of things in that movie or in that series that just kind of did annoy me it was like you know again the one guy who could not be stopped by a large group of people at any moment it's just like i mean well and so so we're getting a slightly off topic, but I'll, I'll try Shock, to make this quick. But there. <laughs> right. I don't expect every movie that I watch to be 100% accurate. And I don't, I mean, you know, just to 
put a fine point on that. I like the Fast and Furious movies. Those movies are completely ridiculous. They're you know they're launching uh, <laughs> uh, Dodge Chargers into outer space and all this stuff. Um, so, but the one thing I do expect is establish what world we're living in and and let's stay there. Um, and a couple of examples I always give of this is um, I liked Sons of Anarchy up to a point. Okay. Um, because at, up to a point, then they deviated from what world we're living in. It's like, right. And in one episode, we're having a full on, full out battle of Mogadishu gunfight in the middle of Charming. Right. <laughs> against federal agents. And like, no other cops ever show up. No, nobody ever comes up asking questions. The National Guard never comes, nothing. And then, like, two episodes later, somebody's sneaking around the side of the house and they. <laughs> gently break this window and four seconds later the cops show up and it's like okay what like which is it yeah and then the other one is uh in the punisher series which i i again i actually did enjoy the punisher series on netflix yep um but season one episode one he is in laredo texas up on this uh oh actually now that i'm talking about it i can't remember if he's back inside of a room or up on a roof but he has this like ridiculously long sniper rifle and it's like at this ridiculous cant and he makes this ridiculous sniper shot from laredo texas across the border into mexico and takes out this uh this mexican like crime boss in one shot from like two miles away okay got it so we've established that the punisher is an amazing marksman he's a badass he's a sniper he's a marine it's a comic book he just made this two mile shot okay right then we fast forward nine episodes and he can't shoot a guy that's that's 30 yards away like on an opposite rooftop like so which is it like let's establish what world we're living in and live there right um so yeah i get that no i get it i mean you know some of these are are, are a stretch so the last week I, I i brought up a movie to you that you hadn't seen i don't know if you had a chance to watch that one scene did did you did you check out peppermint i i, I feel guilty about it and i did not you did not that's okay I all right not. um and then uh obviously you saw Extraction 1 and 2. Yep. And now you and I had a, a conversation about Extraction, the first one. Um, and just, you know, obviously for uh, for content of this, um, what, the guy who did all of the, 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 I don't know if it's tactics, if it's firearms consulting, whatever, the, the person who did all of that, you know, this is how you would do this, this is how you would clear this room, um, is Kyle's AI, Chili Palmer. Um, okay. And, um, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a friend and we, we have some good conversations and I joke with him a lot. I saw him back in July, uh, up at the SIG Academy and I asked him about some of the, cause Extraction 2 had like just come out. Um, and so we were talking about some of the stuff that's on there. So, you know, pretty, pretty real stuff. And obviously Chili was, um, in the unit, uh, with Kyle, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, or he was, um, he served with Kyle. Um, so I, I'm agreeing to good stuff being in the movie. I don't, I don't know the, the gentleman you're talking about, so I can't speak to his military. Got it. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if I'm, I'm calling it out the right way. So we'll, we'll just, um, leave it there. But during extraction one, I remember you and I talking about, it was the it was a scene where Hemsworth goes to get the kid right in the beginning, and yep. he had done a 
mag change or uh, or clear to malfunction or something, but he did it off of his. I think he did it off of his vest. So yeah, so he. Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So first of all, like the the I was less of a fan of Extraction Two. Um, Extraction One had some lots of really good stuff, and 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 I like it when they put this stuff in there that like. You know, like people like my dad that watch the movie probably didn't even notice. But uh, so he's he's like fighting, like you know, like physically fighting with this, uh, you know, this enemy soldier or whatever. Uh, and so he he's he's grabbing a hold of the guy and he's maintaining a hold of the guy with his left hand. So he pulls his pistol and he shoots the pistol with his right hand, but he kind of has the pistol uh, like against the guy. Yes. And it. so it, that that induces a malfunction into the gun. And he taps the gun against his plate carrier, which is exactly what you should do with one hand. And then he racks the gun on the edge of his plate carrier, which is exactly the, that's the way I do it. You catch the rear sights of your handgun on the outer edge of your plates and rack it. So he does a perfect one-handed tap rack bang, you know, in full tactical kit. He taps the gun against himself, racks it on the edge of his plate carrier, and then shoots the guy, you know, again. Um, And so, and that whole sequence, I mean, it, it took me 10 times longer to explain it than it actually took it in the movie, but that, that was, that was a great little nugget there that was tactically perfect in, in my but, opinion. And if I remember correctly, you correct me if I'm wrong. I remember you, we, we were talking about that scene and you had said like, it was almost deliberate. Like they wanted you to, to really focus on it. Like, or, or, or I don't remember exactly what the context of it was because I well, think like the scene I talk about in shooter where he, Brack bang like it's so quick that I, I maybe I'm giving Mark Wahlberg way too much credit but that's there was no attention drawn to it and it was right. so quick that I I've I've always kind of lived under the assumption that uh Mark Wahlberg was just trained fairly well and he just did that on his own and they just happened to catch it on the camera but yeah um I think in in extraction I think that was choreographed to to draw attention to that. Yeah. For I, people like you and I, I think. Yeah. You you're probably right. Um uh I agree that one was a little bit more um I don't know what's the I don't know what the what the adjective I'm looking for here is, but I I did like one a, a little bit better. Um two it seemed to get a little bit more uh, crazy with the the helicopter and the and the you know the belt fed on the yeah on the on the roof of the thing on the roof of the uh, the train um, the dudes showing up like you said in the middle of middle of this city with like it was like full robot robocop gear on I mean they were fully you know kitted up um, what was cool though and I don't know if you noticed it but um, they were definitely, they weren't, well, Hemsworth was not using an AR-15 in that, like he had the, the, um, it was, it was AR-10 because if you looked and mm-hmm. you saw the magazines, it was funny, Dan pointed that out and I confirmed it with Chile. I was like, did you guys switch to, uh, the 308 at the end? And he was like, yeah, um, that's what he was carrying or he was using. But, um, yeah. you know, some of that stuff was, uh, was, was pretty, you know, pretty authentic, uh, the whole situation in the prison with the escape. Again, some of the stuff was, but you, you're talking one guy versus all of the inmates. It's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, at some point. Well, and it's like one thing, like I've always said about the Fast and Furious movies, like oh. in the beginning, they were like 
Well, no, like the the first Fast and Furious movie was Point Break with race cars instead of surfboards. I mean, it's the exact same plot line, the exact like everything. Yep. But uh, at some point, like around the third or fourth movie, um, Fast and Furious stopped being race car movie and started being a superhero movie. Like mm-hmm. like now, like the the Fast and Furious movies that are coming out now, they are full on superhero movies. 100%. Like you know, not all that different from no. Marvel movies. No. Um, and so. On to a lesser extent, that's the way Extraction One and Extraction Two were. Like uh, Extraction One and Two, or I'm sorry, Extraction One was was ultra authentic, like super good tactics, super cool little Easter eggs, like like the one we just talked about with the tap rack bang, like yep. for for people like us to pick up on and all that stuff. And then Number Two kind of started getting into like John Wick territory, where it, it almost is like becoming a superhero movie in, instead yeah. of. Uh, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it, you know, when you start seeing Vin Diesel's character um, punching through concrete blocks and you're just like, all right, what's going on here? Um, so, you, you, you know, you make a good point of establishing establishing the world we live in and then just kind of sticking to it. So yeah. if you're going to if you're going to make these movies like this now, then then that's fine. But, um, you know, I like and then just like a total non sequitur. There's a new Mission Impossible movie out and like did. Like, oh, yeah. did they spend like zero dollars on advertising? Because I didn't even know about it until you didn't. Uh, you didn't one of my friends it? told me about it over the weekend. I didn't. I did not. And I, oh, I wow. love the Mission Impossible movies. So, it, dude, it was really good. Um, and oh, you've a, seen it? Oh God, yeah, man. Ah. It was a it was a part one of part two. So, just be prepared to walk out the theater going, Shh, damn it. Um, but yeah, I, I so you know you don't like TikTok, um, but like I said, there's some gems out there, but Tom Cruise, I think he promoted this by literally doing a, a, like a, a marketing commercial of him jumping out of a plane and filming it like while he's free falling. I mean, that, that's a dude. So on Instagram, I saw that it was like a behind the scenes little like one minute clip on Instagram of them filming some like big motorcycle jump scene with him where oh, he was yeah. like actually doing it. He, he did was it. actually the one on the, mo- um, but like, I, I had no, like, cause I just saw that clip recently. So then that, I guess that made me think that maybe the movie was going to come out four or five months from now. And, but no, but it, nope. it's out now and I need to go see it, I guess. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if it's still in the theaters, but yeah, that motorcycle scene was intense. Um, I mean, that's a guy who has literally, I mean, I think the, uh, in the second top gun, the plane that he flies at the end with, um, the The the, the P-51, P-51, that's his. That is actually his aircraft. That is his aircraft. So, I mean, there you go, man. Like that's a dude that, uh, has definitely, uh, wrapped both hands around his, his skill set, his career and, I mean, well, for all the crap and craziness you could say about Tom Cruise, um, I mean, number one, for, for right or wrong, better or worse, like, I, you know, Hollywood actors are Hollywood actors. I, I don't listen to them to determine who I'm going to vote for. And, God, and, no. And, no. Or anything like I, I if I enjoy a movie, I'm going to watch like because I know like uh, a lot of people have been like, I'm never going to go watch a Liam Neeson movie again because he said something that was anti-gun and he makes all his money off of making pro-gun movies, which fine but like it's it's they're actors they're douchebags and these are movies but right. um tom cruise has done that all the way through his career i mean like after um after days of thunder like he actually started like racing cars for real and after the first top gun movie he became a pilot like for real and uh, yeah. you know, so he's he's done that um many times throughout his career like actually 
um, you know, starting to do the the things that he does yeah. on screen, which I yeah. think is cool. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, actors are actors, and they, you know, that's all that they are. I, like you just said, I don't stay in your lane and make make entertainment for the rest of us. But they've yeah. got they've got zero sense of reality when it comes to, you know. Five dollar and eighty nine cent gas, like it doesn't like those are things that don't matter to those people. So just shut yeah. up, make your movies, collect your awards, and thank whoever you need to when you collect your awards, and, and leave it at that. Ricky Gervais, I think, said it, put it best in that. Uh, remember when he was just ripping? Oh, yeah. oh God, like he put it best. So, um, so with all that being said, with these movies, you know what what we're talking about is is kind of the is picking apart the realistic pieces that is is kind of rolled up in this entertainment um i think um i think john wick is a is a really good example of this is a tough one but no i mean number one so number one just back to one of my first points like john wick super cool from a gun movie standpoint but almost everything like you and i have talked about this offline before as well like the when they got to the point where his silk suit is somehow bulletproof and he uses it like a vampire cape and he can deflect bullets. Like now we're getting a little bit ridiculous, but like other than that, like the, the tactics and techniques and movements and stuff that he does with the gun, they are like, for the most part is all like actual valid, um, you know, tested and, and, and trained tactics. Uh, okay. But no matter how good you are, no matter how awesome your guns are, and no matter how good your tactics and techniques are, you cannot go against 200 guys and win by yourself. You cannot do it. Exactly. So I, I, I want to so. step back to, to that. So John Wick one is, is, is where it kind of ended for me. Have I watched them all? Yes. Do I? Yes. Is it because I like movie popcorn more than the actual reality of that movie? <laughs> yes. Um, the first one was, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. Obviously, anybody that's listening to this can understand how that first one blew up. I mean, that's where you saw Keanu running a pistol and a rifle on a range in California, and everyone was, I mean, that went viral. Um, yep. And... But his tactics or technique in that movie was based off of the, um, was it Central Axis car? Center Axis car, Relock. Center, that's it, Relock. Car. Um, now, do you teach that? I don't teach it. I have done it. I've had it taught to me, and I've done it. But as somebody that's done it with a real gun with real bullets, you cannot do it for very long. It's... Uh, because when you're shooting the gun tucked, because it it is it's valid in application because you're centering the gun on your body, so it's basically it, as long as your your grip and and orientation on the gun is correct, it's kind of like wherever your nose points is where the gun is pointing, um, and so at a close range, you know, seven yards or or in on a man sized target, uh, it's high high probability that you're going to get a hit, but having your gun all the way like basically under your chin and you and you're just giving yourself just enough room for the gun to cycle um so there's this little miniature explosion going off like right under your uh right um what's sinus cavity and like every time you shoot your gun it's uh you know 
not like a full punch in the face, but like if I was just giving you like, you know, I'm in the Navy, sorry. Like we do like a little sack tap thing, but it's like <laughs> if I was like sack tapping you in the nose every time you pull the trigger on the gun, that's what it's like. And right. so you can only do that for a short amount of time before it, it really um, it kind of starts to become painful. Yeah, um, and disorienting and, and all that. So now, now for those that aren't familiar with it, you can you can look that up. Um, here's the thing: it looks cool for Hollywood, but as Jamie just explained, yeah. as you just, it doesn't work that great. Um, and if I, I mean, if I remember correctly, it's you're also shooting with your left eye, right? You're you're using your left eye. Um, I, I've never heard that, and I shoot all the time with both eyes open, so I, okay. I don't really. Because you really, if you're doing it the way I was shown and taught to do it, you, I mean, you, you really can't reference your sights anyway, right? Um, because the it's gun all, is really yeah. tucked up; it's tucked all the way, basically underneath your chin. But, but I'm like, uh, it can be a valid tactic for may, maybe two to four shots, and after that, it's it becomes really unpleasant. And if I and if I remember correctly, again, it hasn't been a, it's been a while since I watched the first one. I think he does switch from from traditional where he's fully punched out and then moving. And then he kind of, he kind of pulls it in for those situations where it's, it's within seven yards or whatever, but I think you're right. And, but I think, you know, kind of to your point where you were kind of done with it after number one and number two, he shoots center axis relock. Like it having not watched number two in a little while, like maybe I think last Christmas when my mom was here, we watched all of them like in order, but um, so that's the last time I've seen number two, but it seemed to me like he was shooting center axis relock pretty much all the time in number two. Yeah. I, which I, which yeah. just, again, it, it's, it's aggravating Two lost it for me when, you know, in the middle of a gunfight, we stopped to put on a three gun belt and then start doing quad loads, which we won't get into that. We've gotten into that many times offline. Uh, and then three, y- you lost it for me when you had the typical, horde of bad guys come in with motorcycle helmets that were now fully bulletproof and you yeah. and in order to combat that you give him a MPX um i think he was shooting a pistol caliber carbine uh because yep. that was the hot gun that was being modified at the time um we will just leave that right there yeah I, so like <laughs> um i i really like again not to go too far you know on this tangent but i i really didn't like number three at all like um i think out of because there's been four so far and um to my knowledge they're they're not going to make a number five if you've seen the end of number four but they are making a spinoff series that centers on the hotel um so that that may be interesting but like i think uh like in order i think number one was the best one i i actually enjoyed number two i thought number three was crap like i i really i i would go so far as to say i didn't even like number three and uh and then number four i thought was as good as number two so but number um but, but it, the only thing that i liked in number three was the the and it was only for the highlight of the dog species at the time but you can tell what was hot in the industry at that point um yeah. but the belgian Malinois scene where they were using the dogs, um, but again, that that was about that was the extent of it. Four, uh, quite honestly, four. I am the yeah. 
Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm the West Coast uh, dealer sales rep for Lantac USA. If anybody out there needs Lantac stuff, there it and is. I sold them uh, several Lantac dragons for them to use in John Wick Three. So um, it's the scene where, or the scenes where uh, Keanu gets to um, Halle Berry's little compound. Yep. Um, and you can see that uh, if you watch closely, you can see that a lot of the guns have Lantac dragons. There on it them. is. Very so, nice. Um, so. Four lost it for me with the whole, again, we're using our, our blazers as bulletproof <laughs> vampire capes and, yeah. and they're taking the, the, the bullets point blank, but then somehow this little Asian girl is able to climb up this guy's back with knives and stab right through his bulletproof vest. Um, I was I was all set at that point. There's a there is a little bit of of realism to that. There's a there's a very famous um, you might even be able to find it on YouTube. But there's this really famous video where this company in Australia um, made these jackets that were like that were made out of some type of woven Kevlar and they could stop like a pistol round. Um, and then and like on like live television, the guy like they. Um, the guy takes the jacket off for them to shoot it, and I think they shoot it, and I think it it they they show that the like the pistol it was a nine millimeter bullet or whatever they show that it did not penetrate, and then he puts it on and tells the guy to like here stab me with this knife, and the guy stabs him in the back, and it actually goes through goes the jacket through. and stabs okay. the guy. So uh, yeah, so I, there I, I there may be a tiny bit of of authenticity in that, but yeah, let's. Uh, but I'm are we, gonna, but are we talking? I mean, a we're not going to try it, and b, you know soft armor versus a a blazer thin material are two yeah. different things but again we're we're going down there uh, you know so let's just go back to the John Wick series as far as tactics and and realism i, I mean does it even come close to ranking as far as you know what you can take away from this is you know with no i just wanted to make the point uh, originally is why I even brought up John Wick is because um, there there are like I mean the way he does reloads I mean even though uh, I don't I don't think there is and and possibly ever will be an instance where somebody's quad loading a shotgun in a combat situation um, but like that is a real thing uh, the way Keanu does his reloads is a real thing and, and um, I I need to watch it again but I think there's times where like it shows him and he's got like a, uh, I think he's using a blade tech uh, holster and mag pouches and uh, like he's got two mags in his mag pouches and he goes through both of them. And then like the camera cuts away and cuts back and there's like more magazines in his mag pouches again. <laughs> um, but the way he does his reloads are good. I mean, him quad loading the shotgun, that is a valid thing that exists in the real world. You wouldn't right. really do it in combat, but um, so, and the center axis relock thing, again, that, that is an actual thing that you can learn and do um but you can't do it the way he showed in the movie so it's a it's a good example of even though like overall like you couldn't be john wick you you would be killed in the first five minutes uh, <laughs> right. even john wick couldn't be john wick but right. but you there but there are small things that, that you could take away from it you know? sure and you're right i, I mean his reloading now I think they even did like a satire on this. Some somebody did the a, a, just a a 
big giant satire video on the mag flip. I mean, yeah, uh, I, that was um, it, that was dynamic pie is the it's what the YouTube channel was. Just, and if you're it's the one where they flip it out and then it like goes and stabs in the neck or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I've I, I've heard you in in a class when you were talking about you know doing a mag change like let gravity happen like the mag will just fall out um i don't know that there's any reason to 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 mess with it if it doesn't i will say that there were a couple of times in class last week where i had to give it a little bit of a kind of a shake to to help that glock mag fall out i mean you know the, the yeah, glocks so don't I have a lot of weight for um for pistol um for pistol, it's a higher um, probability that the magazine is going to just fall out. Um, but like what, the way I teach it is, um, what you should do is, regardless of whether the magazine falls out or not, you should already be reaching for your reload. And then if if by the time you get to the gun with your fresh reload mag and the other magazine has not fallen free, then you can physically strip it and then very quickly uh, insert your reload magazine instead of realizing that your hand is halfway to your reload and then going, oh, this magazine didn't fall out, then reaching back to the gun, then reaching back to your belt, then coming back to the gun again. Got it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's more economy of motion for you to just go ahead, eat, whether the magazine falls free from the, the empty magazine falls free from the pistol or not, uh, go ahead and scoop up your reload magazine. And when you get to the gun, if the magazine, magazine is still there strip it and insert your reload magazine and if the magazine's gone just go ahead and go for it um on the rifle i am a big proponent of physically stripping the magazine every single time um because i i reload from a, a plate carrier uh, most of the time um but if you've got two hands on your rifle and your support hand is out front on the the forearm the the handguard yeah. forearm whatever you call it of the rifle you have to pass go um you have to pass that magazine anyway yeah and i would say maybe like when i'm out doing drills and training and you know yeah. teaching classes and all that stuff i would say it, it's a it's a low probability but i always say maybe maybe two times out of ten maybe one time out of ten the magazine doesn't fall free but you can turn that 10 to 20% situation into a 0% if you just strip the magazine out every time. And since your support hand has the pass pass there anyway, you're not losing anything by doing it. So, um, yeah, so that, that's yeah. my take on okay. change. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there is some, there is something to take away from that. Um, no big mag flips though. No big mag flips. No, I would not, I would not go that crazy. Um, uh, so, so that kind of rounds us out there. I, I don't think that we were going to be able to do this episode in, in part one, part two, without getting into a John Wick thing because yeah. John Wick, you know, people it's refer so to popular. Him. It it's is so it, such in the zeitgeist. It, it is, it is, and it's you know, it's just it's just out there. Um, obviously, you know, there's a there's a bunch of Hollywood actors that are getting trained. In California, um, by Taryn, um, and you know you can't really take anything away from that. I mean, Taryn can shoot. Um, yep. And you know, even going back to uh, it's funny 
we we were talking about um, shooting and marksmanship and, and everything last week in the class. And one of the things that Kyle brought up, and you know, he speaks very very highly of Rob Latham. Um, mm-hmm. And Rob Latham came to Bragg to teach. I just looked down at my phone as I got a vibration and it is Kyle texting me about something, but um, it's weird if he's listening. Uh, He talked about Latham coming to brag to teach his guys how to shoot better. He talks about it all the time. Like, and, and Rob was very good with saying my job is to, is only from when that gun comes out of the holster. That's it. It's the only thing I'm here to teach you. Anything leading up to that tactics movement, right? Not mine. So, so you know, I mean, uh, Brian Nelson teaches the Marine Corps School of Infantry now. Like again, like he doesn't teach the entire School of Infantry, but um, they've started incorporating kind of like I've always referred to like competitive shooting. Like there's there's bullseye shooting, and there's action shooting, which action shooting is like USPSA or IPSC or whatever. Um, and for a long time, the military was just stuck in this like importance of bullseye shooting and we must stand static and get in a prone position and shoot a 300 score, you know, in the tin ring at 300 yards with this slow fire bullseye shooting. And again, that's a holdover from really from world war two, um, and kind of into Vietnam. And it was just like the, the military has just been stuck in that for 50 years and, uh, finally has now started embracing, um, Ipsic style or USPSA style shooting. And like now, um, Brian Nelson teaches that at the Marine Corps school of infantry. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, it I, really is. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, taking away, and maybe that's where John wick, I don't want to say failed because obviously it did not fail at the box office, but that's <laughs> where maybe John wick missed the mark is they, they focused on, competition shooting I, I don't maybe this is not the right way but there was not a lot of i don't know if the tactics were there so it wasn't you know it wasn't Every so much competition <laughs> yeah, i mean we did stop in a firefight to put on a three-gun belt and quad load oh. so um but so so that was it he he was he the actor was taught to shoot fast and accurate yep. For movies, I don't think there was any tactics yeah, they, being taught. I don't know if this matters to anybody. If anybody doesn't know this, like all the um, all the actual shooting sequences, they actually filmed with airsoft guns, so they could. Uh, it looks like he's holding a real gun, and the gun is cycling like a real firearm. And then they add the the brass ejecting and the muzzle flashes and stuff in post. Um, but so you know, as far as his accuracy goes, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, right. but they did they filmed all the action sequences with airsoft, which I I, I personally thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I I think I think there's some uh, some validity to that as far as for you know for being as well safe as possible as well as you know I guess giving it some realistic, uh, but again we we couldn't really not bring that up um yeah on a scale of you're gonna you're gonna survive the gunfight or you shouldn't ever do this i would not i would put it at the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to uh um some of that being 
viable. No, it's like I mean, like I said, it, it that one falls squarely into the category of superhero movie. Right. Um but to give it, you know, a little bit of credit where credit's due, like, you know, some of the gun manipulation and gun handling and, sure. and techniques are, are have some validity. Yes, yes. I mean, focus on that. Do not focus yeah. on the rolling around with guys and shooting them in the face while your leg is wrapped around their neck because... Yeah, don't think just because you can handle a gun like that and do a quick reload and, and get a couple of good shots off at center axis relock that you, that you can take on 50 guys and win. You, no, you cannot. You will, you will not. Um, so, so now... Do we? In the beginning of this, you were you, you were watching something because there was a note that you had. What was that? What was that piece that we were? Uh, so, uh, what, if we had to, I, I know we're over an hour already. Um, oh no, that's one of the okay. movies I was going to talk about was uh, Sicario. Uh, um, yes, there, let's talk about there's, that. There's uh, there's a lot of good things in Sicario. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, Larry Vickers has talked about this before too. Um, it's interesting that in the movie the the operators are they they're referenced as delta guys but like everything that they do and even the way their equipment is all set up and everything is very obvious that the actors um were taught and advised by uh by navy seals okay because um, there's there's certain little there's certain little things that that team guys like that that are different from the army um and one of the things like Navy SEALs love single point slings. I, I, I don't, you know, I worked with SEALs for a long time. I do not like single point slings, but team guys love single point slings. And like in Sicario, you see that all these guys that are referenced as Delta guys, they all have single point slings and they're, they're set up in the way that the team guys would set them up and all that stuff. But um, again, kind of what you said about uh, extraction and like that scene in extraction being very deliberate. Um, the little scene in Sicario when they're crossing back across the border and they get in that little gunfight oh, yeah. in the cars. Yep, yep. Um, that that is pretty perfect in, in in my review of that. Like they um, that when they recognize the threat, yep. They roll windows down, which is what you should do because if you don't have to shoot through glass, you shouldn't because shooting through glass causes bullet deflection. Um, and then, like I talked about in the podcast last week like if the car is no longer being used as a car meaning in motion meaning to egress uh, you know get away transport people to and from some place at a high rate of speed if the car is no longer being used as a car get out of it get out immediately right. like period no no uh no debate no no room for interpretation once the car is no longer a car get out because cars are not good for for cover uh they're not good for hard cover and so but in in sicario they do that so so step one when they they recognize a threat they all roll down the windows they lift up like uh one of the cars has like it's like an suv and has like a little hatch that goes up in the back they open the hatch they roll the windows down they stop the car as soon as the cars are stopped and they're in basically like they're gridlocked in traffic so they can't use their cars as cars anymore. So what do they do? They immediately get out. Um, they, uh, it's everything they do is in that little scene is is really dead on. They did everything exactly the way you should do it if you're in a scene like that. Get out, go mobile, um, and then they they trap the bad guys in their car before right. they can get out. Yeah. Um. I I told you recently I had a kind of a situation like that and like yeah. I where some a person was being aggressive towards me and he was walking towards my vehicle and I had to quickly decide 
to not let this person get all the way up to my vehicle because if I let them get all the way up to my vehicle, now they control the space and now they control the tempo and now they have limited my options. So the best way for me to not be limited and for me to control the space is get out of the car. Um, so they, they, all that was done really well. Uh, all their, um, I liked that it wasn't some like wild gunfight with like bullets flying all over the place. Like it was, you know, five seconds and, and, and just a few shots and it was done. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really good. The, the thing I was looking back at, um, cause I, I intended to bring it up in my notes. And then, and again, I intended to, to watch it before we started recording, uh, was the scene at the very beginning where, um, the, like the FBI SWAT team, I don't know if that's what it's, I don't know if FBI calls it SWAT, forgive me. Um, but the, the FBI tech team, well, there's HRT, but that's hostage rescue. Um, so I don't know okay, if they so have maybe it's something different, a, yeah. like some other type of tech team that's called something else besides HRT. Um, cause in that situation, they weren't rescuing hostages. Right. They were just raiding a target. So, yep. um, but, but anyway, I don't, I don't know. So somebody for, forgive me if, if, uh, FBI, maybe they don't call it SWAT. Uh, maybe, maybe that is HRT or maybe they ha- call it something different, but when they're taking down that house at the beginning and Emily Blunt, uh, goes in there and, uh, I did want to, to call out that like, the way they're moving down the hallways and stuff and covering each other. Cause the, the doorways that are, that are down the hallway are kind of staggered from each other. In that case, you would want to be on both sides of the, uh, of the hallway. But in that, when they were the way they were running their stack, only one side was moving at a time, which like that. So that, that's another thing that, that tells me that um, they had some really good um, training and some really good tactical advisors that showed them how to do that. Um, they were basically doing that the way that I was taught to do it. And then, um, she enters the room and the guy gets off a, like he's shooting a shotgun from the hip. And so she breaches the door, enters the room. The guy shoots shotgun from the hip and the round impacts right beside her head, but misses her. And she immediately falls to the ground, shoots him. And then it's, it's weird because she flips her gun to full auto and then, and like lets off like a burst of like four or five shots on auto Hmm. and so um this is again is this one of those things i'm sure they did do that on purpose but um because her character was supposed to be like i think she was the light they were trying to paint her character in was like she was a little bit experienced and a little bit trained but like also kind of a newbie and uh so you know the ar selector switch is goes safe semi full so she just got shot at. She immediately fell to the floor, which is um, and in the movie. It looks like she did that on purpose, which is not a bad tactic, um, except unless there's somebody coming in behind you, then they'll trip on your body. That's that's now laying on the floor instead of up and moving where you should be. But uh, nevertheless, it appears that she did that on purpose. And then she shoots the guy on her way down and then flips the gun to full auto and then like shoots him like, you know, it's a burst of like four or five shots on full auto. Um, but a person like her that was a little bit trained and I see this in the military all the time. You've, you've had a little bit of training, but you're not really at a high level yet. You don't have a lot of experience yet. Um, she could have like accidentally flipped the gun to full auto. auto Um, Like that's yeah. Um, so, so I thought that was interesting. And if they did that on purpose, um, that's an interesting choice, but then 
to me, as a person that's a fireman instructor and, and a person that's been in the military for a while, I also thought it was plausible that a a, a real person that's uh the, like the the real version of her character, it's absolutely plausible that in that situation, this is the first time you've ever been in a gunfight. This is the first time you've ever shot somebody, and right. your adrenaline is just going through the roof. You absolutely could because I've I've seen people do it in training, not even being shot at, accidentally throw your gun over to full auto. So I, I thought. Uh, it's it's an interesting choice if they did that on purpose, but it was uh, it was kind of cool because I think a new person that was in that's in a gunfight for the first time that's there there actually is probably a fair chance that they would do that. Gotcha. Um, one of my friends uh, that got out of the Navy and uh, became a SWAT officer um, in Wisconsin. Um, the again he was he was kind of a guy like me that had. Uh, he had been to training upon training upon training upon training upon training and uh just like he never got the chance to deploy and never got the chance to be in combat so he he had all this tons of high level training but had never been in a gunfight before and uh when you you know when you're a police officer and you shoot somebody they it's standard procedure that they they remove you from duty they place right. you on leave they do an investigation all that kind of stuff and so uh the very first SWAT op that he went on uh he was the number one guy through the door and he uh, i guess they were using mp5s and he he was the first guy through the door and there was a guy and he was going through the door and he was going to go move left or sweep left and he identified a threat um as he told me that was standing in the like the right hand far corner of the room as he came in and moved left and so uh you know I was taught that you come in, you see a threat, you keep moving and you keep moving your sector. But if you identify a threat, you shoot him twice and then you continue to, to move your sector because the guy that's coming in behind you, he's also going to pick that pick up, that up right. and go. So anyway, when they did the investigation, they were like, uh, why did you shoot this guy nine times? And he's like, no, I, <laughs> he's like, no, I, I came through the door and I, I saw him and I, um, you know, I, 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 I engaged him twice and moved into my sector and they're like, no, no, no. But, but you shot him nine times. Why did you shoot him nine times? And he's like, no, I didn't. And, and he did. And like when they went and pulled his magazine out, like there was like 11 shots missing out of his magazine. And he, he told me, he said, I honestly, I had no idea that I had fired my gun 11 times. He's like, I, in my brain, I fired twice, yeah. but he really had shot 11 times. So, well, I mean, you know, they, the, I think I've heard Paul refer to it. You probably have to, the, you know, the fog of war happens. And yeah. I, I mean, it probably happens in competition. I know that it happened last week in training. Like we were, I know I probably did. I'm sure probably a couple other people, you know, the, the string of, of, uh, of shots you're supposed to take, you know, two here, two here, two here. Next thing you know, somebody takes three shots there. Then two, then like, Oh God, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, or you forget the entire, the entire drill that you're supposed to do, which I mean, you know, it happens. Um, and the whole time you're just hoping you don't look stupid for the gram. <laughs> So, um, you know, it, it it's, it, I guess it, it comes down to just continual training and, and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, and speaking of Sicario and continual training, like one of the down checks that I gave Sicario is like at the end of it, um, when they're in the little tunnels and they're shooting like under night vision, like, oh, I, right. like I could kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit, but I just want to make the point that like, in the movie, they make it kind of look like a video game and like where it's, it's, 
hey, this is super easy. Put your night vision goggles down. Oh, yeah. Activate your laser. Put your laser on the target. Push the button. And bad guy goes down. Like uh, shooting guns under night vision, because I know a, a lot more um, civilians are acquiring night vision and stuff now, which is cool. I think I, I think it's a, a good thing. I don't have a problem with it. But um, that is, ab- I mean, even a shooter that's at my level, that is absolutely a perishable skill. That is something that you have to train on constantly. It's very difficult, and it's a skill that degrades really fast if you're not training on it. So if you're out there buying night vision and, and stuff, like it is not like they show in Sicario. It is It does not look like a video game, and it's actually a very difficult skill to master, and it's a skill that you need to keep up on. Yeah, so we go back to training, uh, and... Yep. Um, night vision is not cheap. Uh, so if you are going out there and spending that kind of money on that equipment, get good training. Um, so, yeah. Um, was there any other movies that we had to, uh, that we had to go, go over or did we kind of, no, uh, there, I, I wanted to clarify one thing that I said last week. I, I, I was talking about how awesome, this movie was because every single thing they did with a gun was right. As far as I could tell. And it was a movie called sinners and saints. And then you texted me where you were like, Hey, do you think this is a good movie? So let me clarify that right now. No, it's not really a good movie. Okay. The movie is on from one to a hundred. The movie's like a 62 maybe, but, uh, but, Everything they do with a gun is correct. Okay. So no, I, yeah. I wanted to make sure people don't think I think that's a good movie. Yeah. It's not Braveheart, but I, um, <laughs> but ev- everything they do with a gun in their hand is is pretty spot on. Okay. Um, and then like you know one of the other quick points that I was going to make about um, extraction, and then I, I wrote down uh, um, the same point for Blood Diamond as well, is it's one thing to make somebody look like you know a badass like John Wick and to make this one actor look like they know what they're doing and to make this one actor look like they're a total ninja. Um, But in Extraction, they also do a good job of like, at one point he's fighting against kind of like basic, basically trained, basic trained, basic level trained. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Like foot soldier kind of guys. Yeah. And they did a great job of showing like those guys were pretty authentic at that level. Like yeah. if you're just a basic trained soldier, that's like contrary to popular belief, that's really not a high level of training. And, um, uh, and, in blood diamond, um, Oh, what's his name? His, uh, his last name is Archer. I can't think of his first name in the movie. Leonardo DiCaprio anyway. Okay. Um, he's supposed to be a like a former British SAS guy, I think. Yeah. And like the, the big famous, um, gunfight at the end of that movie he's going against these like conscript soldiers which kind of like in black hawk down it is also um and and you really get to see this contrast of professional soldier versus these conscript soldiers that don't really know what they're doing and they have at best a a base level of training because they're doing the thing where they're just like holding the gun over their head and shooting and and you know doing things like that right so the, you know those those things are also pretty authentic and and i like blood diamond and i like um i think i think extraction is a little bit more um extreme like you've got extreme badass on one side and extreme non-badasses on the other side and blood diamond is a little bit uh closes that gap a little bit where um, you see like guy who is professional soldier that actually has some like mid to high level training and proficiency. Right. Um, like 
that here we go again training is a force multiplier against people that don't have it and sure. i think blood diamond was really authentic in that because they're doing all those things that you know that that you see um i mean you can look in the real world look at uh um videos of i mean you you can find combat footage from iraq where they were doing it you can find footage from benghazi where they were doing it you can find footage of mogadishu and some and oh, mogadishu is somalia um uh, where they're doing it but like these uh, i don't and again i'm not sure i'm using the right term but conscript soldiers you know doing the thing where they're just like and i think actually now catch myself i think you can even see it in ukraine now where they're doing the thing where you're just like holding your gun around the corner and just shooting and you can't even see what you're shooting at or holding it you're down in a foxhole and you're just holding the gun over your head and firing um and if you're a professional um shooter that's had some training that like you're you're you as one man kind of going back to the john wick thing like probably one of you could take out 10 of those. Right. Yeah. If, if that's, you know, yeah. So that, that was the last couple of points that I had written down to make. Okay. Good deal. Professional soldier versus conscript soldiers. And the, I'm going to go find out what the, the generic Cobra soldier was and the generic GI Joe soldier was. And that's what we'll refer to those. Huh? (laughs) what's that i said they both suck exactly that's what i'm saying like we can call them from now on that's what those guys are going to be whatever those characters are i've always said i love the a team i like i was like the a team super fan number one but those guys fired three million rounds of ammunition and never Uh, hit anything never never gosh um like stormtroopers um (laughs) that's what we'll call them the stormtroopers yeah there you go of mogadishu um but you know, again, th- this has been a, obviously a, a fun second part to to last week's episode, and uh, I, I I hope that everyone that's listened to this got a good laugh and took away something about it. You know, some of these are are going to be like this, and some of them are going to be you know stuff that you'll write down every note. Um, but we love our movies, and we love our firearms, and and our and our tactics. So uh, you know. Thank you for tuning in for part two of our Hollywood shootouts viable and what can you learn? And um, until next time, you guys stay safe out there. Jamie, anything to wrap it up? I'll just remember it's easy to be hard and it is hard to be smart. There it is. All right, guys, until then, we're out.